Okay, Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> we left off last week, verse 25, chapter 7, on a very uh, uh, mournful note. Paul has said in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death. And that came, that came after a, a very uh, real and yet very depressing description of the state that men are in who know God, waging war against the flesh, wanting to serve God with our mind, but being unable to because we are dominated by a flesh that is in uh, opposition to the things of the Lord. And so he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I hate, those are the things I find myself doing. He cries out in despair, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death. And then he gets a little excited and gives us an, uh, a preview of what's to come. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he um, summarizes what he has said before. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, these triumphant words. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You know, if you got up on top of this building and jumped off, you'd hit the bottom. You'd hit the ground. Uh, I tried that once, so I know. You, if you jump off, now the reason I tried that is because I had to try to break in here through the roof, which goes down into that little room over there, and I couldn't get in. The roof hatch was locked, and the only way down was to jump. So that's how I know. I didn't want you to think that I, I, I tried this out just for the illustration. I'm not that stupid. But anyway, if you got up on top of this roof and jumped off, you'd hit the ground. The reason is because there's a law at work. The law of what? Gravity. However, if you hop into one of these hot air balloons that you see out here around sometimes, you can defy the law of gravity because there is another law at work that superimposes itself or overarchs itself uh, over... That was wrong. It... it, <laughs> it it uh, circumvents or overcomes the law of gravity. A higher law. And that's why those babies can fly. That's why it is that the uh, space shuttle can orbit the earth. Because there's a law of aerodynamics and whatnot that is a greater law than the law of gravity. Well, Paul proudly and excitedly announces here that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There was a law that tied me, as it were, to the ground, to the dust, to the dirt, to the sin of my flesh. A law that said, I belong to um, Satan. I belong to him because I forfeited my allegiance to God. And uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the law of God, 
made it even more clear that I was doomed to hell and to spend eternity apart from God. But a greater law has come. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And it set me free from the law of sin and death. So just like that hot air balloon that defies gravity and rises up to the sky, there is a law at work in me that is defying the law of sin and death. That I can live unto Christ and be free from sin and its clutches. Now that's uh, hallelujah material there. For what the law could not do, now speaking of the Mosaic law, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, uh, he's just restating what he has stated several times so far in the previous chapters, that the Mosaic law was incapable of bringing redemption to men because men's flesh could not keep the law. So it says that uh, for though the law was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now listen to these words. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. In other words, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now follow me. The Bible teaches us that man is a tripartite being, has three aspects to his person. Body, soul, and spirit. Only the Bible says that the exact opposite spirit, soul, and body because God is concerned about the spirit of man and that's who we really are. And working out from there is a soul which encompasses our mind, our intellect, our emotions, our will. And then beyond that, our physical body. Now men are concerned with the other direction. Body first, soul second, and then maybe spirit. But in, in, anyway, there are three parts to man's person. Those three, body, soul, and spirit. Now, the battlefield the, for the, uh, be, the battlefield for the forces of the kingdom of God and the forces of, our, of the kingdom of our adversary is the soul of men, the mind of men. Who will dominate the mind of men? Satan via the flesh or God? via the spirit 
And that's the problem that Paul has outlined for us. He says, I want to serve God with my mind, but I can't bring my mind under the control of my spirit. And so my mind serves my flesh, which does the things I don't want to do. But there has come a higher law, the law of the spirit of, of life, spirit of life in Christ Jesus. What's happened, the reason he can joyfully and exuberantly pronounce this, this glorious news that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, that we're free from the law of sin and death, is because a transformation, a marvelous transformation has come that has brought my spirit to life because I have uh, invited Christ Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. And that part of my being that was dead and lifeless, lifeless has come to life and by the Spirit of God, that part of my being, my spirit, can control my mind. Now he says here very plainly, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. If your flesh, your, des your fleshly desires, your body, the circumstances of life, your sensual apparatus, if those are the things, that control that you're tuned into they will control your mind but he says the opposite is true if you set your sights if you set your affections your priorities on the things of the spirit your spirit will control your mind he says to be carnally or fleshly minded is death so why bother with it he says to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Then he goes on to say that uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That's obvious. But he says, we are not in the flesh. Let that dawn on your understanding. We are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Because the Spirit of God dwells in us. He says, if the Spirit of God doesn't dwell in you, you're not Christ's. So if you today are a Christian, if you today know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you have the Spirit of God in your heart. And if you, the Spirit of God dwells in you, then understand this. The same power that was capable of, breath, of breathing life into the dead body of Jesus Christ is in you and able to breathe life into your dead body. And so what happens is, as we begin to set our affections on the things of the spirit and not on the things of the flesh, we find that our mind comes under the control of God via our spirit. And ultimately, that's going to result in our flesh being under the control of God via our spirit and then soul. You follow me in that? So that our bodies, that's why some weeks ago when we were talking about the power of his resurrection to <clears throat> um, rededicate our bodies, we discovered that the, the physical resurrection from the dead that the scripture promises to those who are in Christ is going to be the, the consummation of the age of grace because it's the final act it pronounces the end of God's working because that life process that began in our spirits 
and has been working its way out into our mind, our emotions and will, and bringing healing to those area of areas of our life, finally touching our bodies, and then ultimately those bodies being, being brought into a resurrected state, that pronounces the end of God's work of grace. But if you've been feeling trapped like Paul, slave to the flesh, wanting to please God with your mind, but incapable of doing it, it seemed, because your flesh was strong like the gravity pulling you down. Understand this, my brother and my sister, that Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, is, has pronounced a higher law. And if we will set our minds, our hearts, our things, on the things of Christ, the things of the Spirit, we will find that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. You know, we don't owe that old crud anything. We don't owe him nothing. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you, do not you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you, re you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You know, those are the same words that Jesus used to address his father in the Garden of Eden. Abba, Father. I'm sorry, Garden of Eden. <laughs> Garden of Gethsemane. If he was there, he probably would have dressed him the same way in the Garden of Eden, too. <clears throat> Which he was there. I'm getting myself into a hole. Garden of Gethsemane. I'll just admit it. I made a mistake. <laughs> but anyway, as he pr cried out to his father there in the Garden of his travail. <laughs> He addressed the Father with these same words, Abba, Father. And it says here that we have been given the spirit of adoption so that it's our right and our privilege now to address God in the same way, Abba, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now get this, and if children then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together this is almost too hard to believe but it's true now Paul has brought us a long way from O wretched man that I am and yet that's how far Christ Jesus has brought us. Slaves to sin, on our way to hell, and now in Christ, joint heirs with the Son of God. That's incredible. But it's true. And all that God the Father has bestowed upon His Son in, in terms of glory and blessing and uh, power and might and majesty we are joint joint now partakers of the Bible says that we are seated in Christ in the heavenlies unbelievable 
He says, this is ours, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You know, it's a fact that if you belong to Christ, you will suffer for his sake. That's a fact. Jesus said it. He said, listen, if, they, if they're on my case, you better just bet they're going to be on yours. The enemies, the adversaries, are not going to leave you alone. If you are holding fast to the word of truth, he's not going to leave you alone. You're a threat to him. But like that uh, vision that you were sharing, if we will take up our cross and follow Christ Jesus, then we can also partake not only in the sufferings, but in the glory that's being bestowed upon our Savior. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That you can't eat, you can't compare them. Sometimes we go through some difficult persecution or whatever, which we experience very little, believe me, compared to many of our brothers and sisters around the globe. But the severest of persecution being experienced by Christians on this planet cannot be compared. It's not even in the same league with the glory that's to be revealed. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits or eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption and redemption of our body. It says here that even creation has been subjected to futility. Sin has polluted and corrupted everything in sight. And it says here that creation groans and travails and waits eagerly for the day of the revealing of the sons of God. That day of consummation of the age when, when uh, all that God has accomplished in Christ Jesus will be revealed. The creation groans and travails and waits for that day. And I believe that some of the, the uh, groaning and trava travailing that the we see the uh, earth going through in our time in terms of natural um, disasters and so forth. The uh, earthquakes, the tidal waves, you know, like uh, those poor folks in Bangladesh experienced. The, the, um, the natural disorder that is all around us, I believe, is the birth pangs of the earth groaning and travailing for the day of the revealing of the sons of God. For we, are, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. You know, sometimes you want to sort of help the day of the Lord to come along, you know. 
Have you ever had that? God, if there's any, just let me know if there's anything I can do to help you come a little bit sooner, please let me know. Because I'd really would like that job, you know. Well, if you want to know how you can hasten the coming of the day of the Lord, learn how to, to groan and travail in the Spirit. Join creation in the groaning and the travailing for the revealing of the sons of God. We don't know how to pray that way, the Spirit says, or the Scripture says, but the Spirit can give us that ability to groan and travail, to, to um, in the Spirit, speak the kinds of things that God is, uh, is saying and agree with Him so that His work, so that His dealings with the hearts of men can be hastened and uh, in, in, in so doing that the day of the Lord could come that much sooner. Now he who searches the heart hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now this verse is, is a mark, I mean, this is an incredible verse. And it's one that we lean on quite a bit. And it's found right here in the context of this whole business of experiencing um, the sufferings of Christ and joining with creation in the groaning and travailing and, and awaiting eagerly the revealing of the, son, the sons of God, the consummation of the work of Jesus Christ in the earth. It says that all things work together for good to those that love God. And I'm glad that that's right there. Because sometimes the things that happen to us don't seem very good. Especially when we enlist in the job of hastening the day of the Lord. Because it isn't an easy ride. When we were praying moments ago that the Lord would use us to see our communities brought to Christ and we were enlisting in His cause, i got news for you. That's not going to be an easy road to hoe. It's work. It will cause us to learn how to groan and travail in the Spirit, believe me. But we have this incredible promise that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Nobody can lay claim to that but Christians, people who are the called according to his purpose. But that's so good because no matter what happens, no matter what befalls me, no matter uh, how difficult the circumstances, no matter how overwhelming, God is somehow able to work good it and I can always count on that and it's such a comfort I can always count on him being able to take whatever it is that I face and work good the advancement of his purpose and of his kingdom one of the things that I witnessed with my own eyes that points up the incredible accuracy of this verse uh, is something that I have probably shared with you before, but I'll say I'll share it again. It has to do with a, uh, a man, a friend of ours, who um, died in a plane crash. He was a pilot, died very suddenly. We got a call in the middle of the night. 
that he his plane had gone down. He left a, a wife and several children. I always forget how many, eight. And um, he was a Christian. The whole family were believers. Very sad, very sad circumstances. Something that you'd think, how in the world is God ever going to bring something good from this? How is that possible? Well, the man's mother and father were not believers. And if anybody uh, had a bone to pick with God, it was them. And I had the privilege of participating in the funeral. I was uh, singing. I sang a song. And uh, it, it was incredible. But his mother and dad opened their hearts and received Jesus Christ as their Savior in that funeral. Now, if, if God can work something that, that tragic and bring about the furtherance of his kingdom, there isn't anything you face or I face that's beyond his ability to bring good from All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now this word predestined is one that we don't like. We wish that word wasn't in the Bible. Primarily because we try to read into it something that the Bible doesn't say. We try to say that because there are some who are, pre or because the Bible says that God has predestined some to be his children, that he must also predestine some to not be his children. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible just simply says that whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's nothing scary about this at all. There's something very wonderful about it. And you and I are not just uh, afterthoughts. But God, who knows all, looked down through, the, through um, history. And in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 it says that uh, this all happened before the foundations of the world. He looked down through history that hadn't, you know, that uh, wasn't even um, thought of in the minds of men, and he saw you and I, and he laid claim to us. He predestined us to be his sons, his daughters, his children. And he says that those or whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now lest you fear you get lost along the way somewhere between predestination and entering the pearly gates. Notice here that the same whom that was predestined are the same whom that are glorified. The Lord isn't going to lose anybody along the way. No man can pluck you out of his hand. Whom he predestined, these he also called. You know, sometimes we think that we had a lot to do with our salvation. Fat chance. 
God laid hold on me before the foundations of the world. And I was out, you know, spinning my wheels, trying to run away from him and avoid him. And all the time, I really was getting closer to that place of interception where God laid hold on me. He called me. And those whom he called, these he also justified. He declared me just, just as if I had never sinned. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. And I have that promise that one of these days I'm going to experience the end result of my predestination, glory. What then shall we say to these things? What would you say? Yeah, yeah. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? Nobody. It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors. I'm not really sure I know what that means. I mean, if it would, he would have just left it as conquerors, that would have been enough. But we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. If there is a... Um, if there is a crowning jewel on the scriptures it is the 8th chapter of the book of Romans and if there is a um, I mean the book of Romans and if there is a, a uh, outstanding facet of that gem it's the 8th chapter 